Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Det här avsnittet av Onrodes podcast är sponsrat av Raider Power. Mer om det senare. I am Dan Greenbank. I am 38 years old and I'm the owner of Part Shop Max USA. So Dan, why don't you tell us where we are? Oh, we're here in, in my office in Part Shop Max USA and um We're going to have a little chat to inform some people out there of stuff that they uh, they might not know about Part Shop Max. But, uh, you know, we, we've been around for uh, about eight or nine years. And in that time, we've, we've come very far. And so... I can tell by the office. It's, <laughs> it's a nice office. Thank you. Um, You know, maybe if people had some experience with the Part Shop Max five years ago, whether it's like interacting with us or, you know, because they tried some of our products, I think what we're doing lately is, um, is quite different because, you know, we're always, we're always building our, from our experience, from our interaction with, uh, you know, the professional leagues, you know, I'm actually on Matt Field's team. I am his suspension guy. Um, Martin has uh, worked with with several pro teams, uh, including Dave Briggs most recently out of Canada. Um, uh, Tommy here has has worked with uh, Matt Powers when he was uh, campaigning his car in Formula Drift, and and we still do uh, now that he's off doing uh, cool stuff like traveling the world, drifting, and doing TV commercials. Um, so when, when we're out there doing that stuff, uh, you know, when we're on the track drifting ourselves and we're working with these teams very closely, we learn stuff and we bring that body of knowledge back into our parts. And, uh, so when we build new applications, we apply that body of knowledge. We take things that we learn and we roll it back into older products. So you take something as seemingly simple as like a, Uh, S chassis rear upper control arm, and uh, the fact is, we keep on learning stuff, and that 
one product is probably in its like eighth or ninth, uh, you know, generation right now. So there's been like a rear upper control arm for every year that we've been in business and, you know, things start to get quite good after you, you know, you have enough time to, you know, apply those, those skills and that knowledge, uh, the stuff starts getting kind of good and, you know, we're proud of that. So this is all that you do. We're we're sitting in your office, as you said, and there's a there's a lot of things everywhere here, really. Uh, and we'll we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, there is things everywhere because, yeah, we um, we've got we've got a, a a parts line that consists of 400 part numbers currently, 400. So if if most people know us uh, from you know the S chassis line. Uh, they might not know how many things we do, but you know, if, if we're if we're sitting at uh, at the the four hundred mark on on how many products we make, that means we've been quite busy and we continue to be. So yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we definitely we definitely make a lot of stuff, and we are getting a lot of attention um, from outside of the car applications that we currently make. Uh, I could post something up online for S chassis, you know, make something, some announcement, I don't know, coilovers are back in stock for S13. And then it's like, when are you guys making stuff for Miatas? When are you guys going to do BMW parts? You know, this, this, this is the type of reply to like my S chassis announcements. How come you guys had no parts for RX8? I went on the website and there was nothing for RX8. So... <laughs> You know, it's, <laughs> we've come far, but the work is definitely not done. You know, we, I hear loud and clear, you know, about the cars every day that people want us to build parts for. So we're going to uh, continue to be quite busy in, you know, trying to take care of all those people. Yeah, and I, I would assume so. And I'm interested in how it all started. We're, we're going to get to the future of Parts Max, but mm. I'm interested in how it all came to be were you did you grow up a, a car guy or how the, well, who were you as a kid i was always a car guy um <laughs> at least at least from the time that i was old enough to drive i was definitely taking them apart and modifying them and putting them back together in sometimes a haphazard way you know we all start from somewhere oh yeah and so i think that we all have like you know some embarrassing things that we've done you know we when you think about the car that you were fixing up in high school, when I think about it, I think I did some pretty retarded stuff to my car, and um, you know that's fine. That's what fine. was we the all... worst? What was the worst thing? What What was the worst thing? Uh, you know, I I had a 1971 bug, and I think it was actually like the worst thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I'd be going to work and the spark plug unscrews itself on the freeway, falls out, starts making all sorts of noise. I'm like, I'm in my button down shirt, you know, going to work to sell uh, car stereo stuff. And, uh, and here I am, you know, like getting my, my shirt all oily before I show up to work because my spark plug unscrewed itself. The, uh, the throttle cable fall would fall off. I, um, I was taking my girlfriend out on a date in my bug, and the wheel decided to fall off. <laughs> Sheared all of the bolts on off of the uh, you know all the studs, and uh, yeah, 
we were we were in three wheel three wheel motion. So there's some there's some rather rather low points, uh, you know, tinkering with cars and you know, I'm sure I'm sure the wheel fell off because I'd been dumping dumping the clutch, you know, at like every stoplight. So you know, that is uh, that's youth and cars, right? So. So what was the? I'm, I'm proud to say that I've achieved like a little bit more uh, reliability in my more recent builds, but you know, <laughs> there's there's a, a lot of bondo applied to to a lot of you know horrible looking body kits and you know stupid sticker schemes like covering the vehicle and you know we keep things a little bit cleaner these days, <laughs> thankfully. So what was the? What was your absolute first car? Absolute first car, the car that I bought for myself. Um, you know, just skateboarding to work and, you know, saving up my money was the 71 bug. Oh yeah. yeah. So that was the first one. Yeah. Interesting choice. Like, you know, I, there was just, uh, I was thinking about what to get and I happened upon that one because it just looked really exciting and I had a feeling that it would be easy to work on. So it had like a fiberglass front end, like one piece that would, you know, hinge open. Uh, it had like two 10-inch woofers in the back seat as a back seat. It actually didn't even have a back seat. The back seat was like amps and woofers. <laughs> and then the roll cage was like, you know, going into the box. Uh, you know, it was set up with dual carbs when I got it and like a sweet uh, short shifter. And, you know... I just thought that this orange and white bug was pretty much like the most exciting thing that I can afford uh, with my money. But I made skateboarding to work, and uh, that started an adventure. There's, they need to be easy to work on because they always need worked on. <laughs> it's like constantly breaking. So, so that's how it all started. So where did you go from there? From the from the bug, and and how did you get into like maybe motorsports and um, from the bug, you know, I picked up a, a Mitsubishi Eclipse and then that kind of started me on the path to, um, fixing up Japanese cars. And I've, I've actually, I've always adored stuff that comes out of Japan. When I was a little kid, you know, I was like intensely aware of the fact that all of the best video games are coming out of Japan. And, you know, when the magazines are reviewing video games, you know, it's like, they get it in Japan first and then, you know, I'm just like waiting with bated breath for, you know, the game to come out in the USA. And so, you know, from, from early on, I was definitely kind of aware of the, you know, the, the technically advanced culture in Japan that certainly applies to cars, you know, fast forwarding to, to when I had, you know, my, my first Japanese car. Uh, you know, I was aware that they had the better motors, they had the turbo version and, you know, all of the, all of the stuff that I was uh, interested in was, you know, seems to come out of Japan. And, you know, later on I would have the, uh, the, the privilege of, of, you know, traveling there and, and making friends and, uh, you know, really getting to know the culture firsthand and, that is, um, that's really important for the origin of my business because in making friends with uh, SK-san, the owner of Part Shop Max Japan, 
that was obviously, you know, instrumental in, in us kind of coming together and forming a plan where we are going to simultaneously release a parts line in Japan and in the U.S. And, you know, that was about, that was about 10 years ago. Wow. And if I, I think if I hadn't traveled down that path, you know, maybe going all the way back to, you know, being a, being a kid that's just like, you know, waiting to get that video game imported from Japan, you know, and, you know, meeting Eskesan and, you know, making friends overseas, uh, you know, that, that stuff is very important as far as a couple of milestones and a couple of doors that were open that, you know, that leads to where we are today. And how did you start, like, how did you know that you wanted a business? Were you doing, what were you studying in school or did just an opportunity came up, hey, you have, here, have a million dollars and build a business? Or mm, So my, my family was always pretty poor. Um, you know, my mom worked several jobs at some time, at the same time, uh, in order to, you know, provide for me and, you know, make sure that I had, you know, good clothes to go to school with and, and, um, and I had some, I had some, some inspirational figures that, that I looked up to that were businessmen, um, when I was growing up and, um, you know, for me, school never really provided any inspiration for what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I would be, I would be in school reading car magazines, you know, maybe even with like a book wrapped around like, you know, the outside of the car magazine. But, you know, I'd be in the back of the class, like, you know, seeing what's, you know, what kind of air intake I'm going to get. You know, this is, this is the way that I spent my time in school. And so, you know... I couldn't extract anything from, you know, history lessons and, and, and math that, you know, would, would give me a direction to go. But, you know, I definitely knew that, that I love cars and, and I think I knew early on that, you know, I, I need to, I need to work for myself. You know, I think that there's, there's just certain kinds of people and I think that you have to be a certain kind of person to go down the path of entrepreneurship. And I just believe really early on that, you know, that was, that was me. I'm just that type of person. And, you know, it doesn't come easy. The lessons learned in owning your own business, I don't really think that they can come out of a book. You just have to go out there, try, fail, fail again, you know, learn something along the way. And, you know, for me, I've had, I've had several businesses. Um, and, you know, I, my third business in is when, you know, stuff started to click. And there's a, there was a lot of lessons learned, a lot of hard lessons, you know. There was a lot of time spent where I, um, you know, I wondered how I was going to keep the doors open. How am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to make payroll? How am I going to pay all these taxes? And it's tough. It's tough starting out. But, um, yeah, 
valuable lessons learned in, in several categories. Uh, so I would say that in business, you know, one thing, as I mentioned, is just knowing yourself, knowing what's right for you. And if you feel compelled with, you know, with your heart that that's, that's the path that you need to go down, then, then you take that path. You know, you've got to be brave and you get out there, you learn something. Just lost it. <laughs> so how did you, like, really start the business? What, what, what gave you the, the incentives to, to really just, hey, I'm going to file for a company? Well, I... Let's say this company, <laughs> maybe. You know, um, in the year 2000, I had a, a Toyota MR2, and it was on the cover of Import Tuner magazine. Sweet car. For sure, for sure. So, um, you know, back in the day, in, you know, the, the late 90s, I was definitely... Definitely going through like the car show scene and, you know, having, having a car on the cover of the magazine was, you know, definitely like the, the ultimate achievement, uh, as far as like, you know, having like a sweet show car and I had, you know, like a huge collection of trophies and, um, and I had essentially built that whole car myself. Um, so not really in the performance aspect of things, but, um, I did the, the fiberglass arrow. I had some experience, you know, when I was younger working in the car stereo store and I was building custom fiberglass enclosures for speakers. And so, you know, being familiar with working with those materials is why I started to do the body kit business. And uh, so, were you a fan of the Fast and Furious films and was that an inspiration to Um, you know, I, Fast and Furious is definitely like the Hollywood version of like what's really going on. So there's, you know, I always thought that there was comedy in, you know, just how far from reality that is, you know, the Hollywood version of things. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there's, uh, you know, there's a certain style going on in that movie. And I have to say that, you know, when I was going through the car show phase, uh, you know, my style kind of matched the whole, you know, body kit and stickers. And look, the car that was on the cover of, of, Import Tuner magazine had chameleon paint. So, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, getting into the body kit business is is something that I did because I kind of parlayed my skills in in installing the body kits, and you know the the style of the time was like smoothing them into the car. You know, I can work with those materials. I learned how to make molds. Um, I learned how to kind of like mesh different styles together to make uh, our original parts. Um, but ultimately, that proved to be a really tough business because there's a phenomenon in the body kit business where it's just all too easy to copy stuff. And I had uh, a lot of challenges in, in that arena because, you know, Basically, stuff's getting, you know, copied in China. We were making it in the USA. Um, we later tried to make parts in Mexico, um, you know, to try to stay ahead of the curve and, you know, be competitive and have, you know, lower price kits. But, um, uh, you know, ultimately, we would fail because of the, the challenges that are 
you know, part of that business. And so moving forward um, from that failure, the only product that I had um, that was not a body kit was a custom door hinge. So um, in doing all this car show stuff, I, I had a customer come to me and he said, can you put Lamborghini doors on my car? And we did. <laughs> and it actually, uh, we actually figured out like a novel way to do that. And that ended up being something that um, I patented. And when it was time to move on from the body kit business, we, there was a time where we were focusing just on custom door hinges. Wow. So um, that's when, that's when kind of like the, uh, the engineering and the, the CAD design, that's when I started to, to build my skills uh, was when I moved from, from the body kit business to the custom door hinge business. And how did you, how did you learn to do CAD? And that, that, that's something usually you don't just, oops, I learned it. Self-taught. Self-taught. Wow. There was a need to, um, you know, have a precise system of measure um, in order to build you know, a sophisticated mechanism such as a, a, a door hinge that can convert a normal door to, you know, a vertical door opening. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, uh, thankfully I, you know, I was familiar enough with computers and, and I, I, I was able to sit down and, and kind of grind through the, the learning process on the software. Um, you know, to this day, I use a very simple CAD program because I don't have that formal education. Um, the one that I use is called Google SketchUp. And, um, you know, I don't think it gets a lot of respect from, you know, the guys that are like, you know, the guys that have the education, you know, behind using products like SolidWorks. Um, but the fact is you can take simple tools and, uh, you can do good things with them. It, you know, the whole point of CAD is to is to be able to uh, you know design something in a in a virtual environment, and it just doesn't have to be that sophisticated. You know, like aerospace style. You know, when it comes to to building stuff for cars, you know, like the the door hinges were something that you know is, is a relatively simple mechanism. It was novel enough to patent. Um, you know, it, it was complex enough that it required me to learn CAD. And so that would be, that would be a very important tool moving forward. So would you say that Parchop Max business grew out of a door hinge? Is that, um, well, you know, I think that being a suspension specialist is like completely unrelated to the, you know, to the car show stuff that I was doing. Um, so I don't think that that the suspension business, you know, came from, from the door hinge business. I think that it was just, uh, you know, one was a path in this direction and the other one was, was, was something that was completely new and different. But, um, you know, the reason why I got to know SK san in Japan was that, uh, he had a car custom shop. He sold my door hinges. So that is like part of the foundation of our relationship. Um, and, you know, when I look back at the car show stuff that I was doing, um, that MR2 that was on the cover of Import Tuner Magazine, uh, I remember that I had a, a VCR in that car. Like, seriously. 
What? <laughs> yeah, not a DVD player, but there was like actually a VCR. There was a PlayStation One in there. There was a screen in the middle of the dash, and I would take these old option videos and I would play them all day long at the car show. Uh, so you know, even though I had a car that couldn't drift, a car that was you know just kind of dedicated to looks, uh, you know, I was always kind of inspired by drifting in Japan. And long before it came over here, uh, you know, to the U.S. in kind of like an official way, you know, where they were having competitions and stuff, um, you know, I was aware of these of these option videos and loved them. So I would compile like all the all the sweetest scenes from like all the you know all the different option uh, video cassette tapes, and you know, I'd have one that was just like you know just looped over and over again, like all this like rad stuff from Japan. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, when we, when we talk about, like, stuff that we used to do that, you know, seems crazy or stupid or just, you know, really, like, let's just say that having a VCR in a car also, like, dates me, right? <laughs> I feel, like, kind of old when I say those words that I had a VCR in a car. <laughs> so, but it all had, it's, it's all connected, right? Yeah, of course. If I was playing drifting videos back in the day. Uh, on my VCR in my Toyota MR2, then, you know, obviously that has something to do with, you know, us being in the, uh, the drift parts business these days. Exactly. So when was the first time that you designed uh, the first product from Parts Mac? Or let me say, how did, how does the business work? Like, did the company start out in Japan or did it start out here? Or what was its yeah. first product? Um, let me pee. And then I'll tell you all about that. Thank you. <laughs> so I had sold some of my custom door hinges to, um, to SK-SAN in Japan. And his business over there was a, a family body shop that he kind of inherited from, from his dad and, and his grandfather. Um, family business works there with his with his brother, um, and so I sold some of my custom door hinges to to SK Son in Japan. Um, he his business uh, with the body shop was uh, obviously you know related to doing you know appearance based modifications in in the cars, um, but there was this perform performance aspect to his business over there, and all the performance stuff was under the name Park Shop Max in Japan. Um, so when I would visit SK-SAN, uh, you know, maybe just talking about door hinge sales, um, you know, I was really intrigued by the fact that he had a dyno at his shop. Um, he had, like, tons of cool cars, S13, you know, RX-7, um, he he's a very skilled engine tuner. Um, he was doing some part sales, and uh, I was privileged enough to get a ride in his S13 on his local mountain road. So uh, I think that is the that is like the key turning point where, although I had been intrigued by watching you know Japanese drift videos. I never really had the opportunity to be like in a drift car and experiencing it for myself. But when we went out late at night, you know, on, on SK-SAN's local Toge Road, 
and he was killing it. I mean, killing it. Like, you know, he was just like owning the, the mountain, you know, just like you, just like you see in the, in the classic cartoons, you know, that inspired, you know, kids around the world. He was killing it. And I thought that is just like the most exciting thing by far that I had ever experienced in my life. And I couldn't get enough of it. I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> it really was. It really was. I was like the most stoked guy on earth when I got uh, <laughs> when I got that ride in, in Eskisan's drift car. And from that moment forward, I just decided that I have to realign whatever I'm doing in my life to provide myself with more opportunities to do that. You know, something as exciting as drifting, and you know that just making that connection in Japan. And being able to experience that was just so awesome that I just, I just started to, to think in my head, you know, what can I do that would, uh, you know, provide me more opportunities to do this in the future? Love Japan, love traveling, love drifting, love the car stuff. Um, and that's when we... Eskason and I kind of, you know, started a dialogue about how we can make that possible. Um, and, you know, we discussed lots of aspects of, of fixing up the cars, but, you know, I, I think the, the thing that, that he was able to bring to the table was uh, a bunch of knowledge um, as far as, like, you know, steering and suspension tuning. Um, I, I was never really interested in working on like the engine mechanical stuff. So even though, you know, Eskison had that under his belt, that's not something that I wanted to, you know, move forward with. So, uh, you know, that's how we, that's how we kind of landed in the, in the suspension category. Um, cause we felt like, we felt like we could, um, bring something to market that, was different than the other stuff that's out there. You know, we were we were all about the style of the cars. You know, coming from that car show background, so um, you know, we were we were aware that running the cars super low um, had a bunch of disadvantages, and so we were interested in building parts for super low cars that would you know address those disadvantages. Um, you know, you slam the car down, you get a bunch of camber. It's like we need a camber arm that's specifically designed for super low cars where, you know, we can really dial it out super long and get zero rear camber, which is, you know, what's required for good tire wear. You know, you wear out tires fast enough already, you know, you can't be having them completely misaligned and, you know, just blowing all your money on tires. So, no. so that, that is the, the type of avenue that, you know, when we decided to start the parts line, you know, that was our... That was our goal. And that was the first thing that you did then, the camber arm? Um, it was, you know, all that stuff goes together. So, so camber, traction, tow, um, like the, the subframe risers for, you know, fixing roll center and, you know, improving the, the axle angle so that we weren't just destroying axles and, you know, like dropping them out the bottom of the car when we, when we kick the clutch, you know, all that stuff. All that stuff goes together. The coilovers are obviously essential when you're, you know, when you're lowering the machine. And um, 
So it was more of a package thing. Like you didn't just yeah. start with one part right. and you, you provided the right. whole package from the start. Yeah. We definitely wanted to supply like everything that the car needed to like let you uh, go super low, you know, drift with the alignment that you needed and, um, you know, just not kill tires <laughs> immediately. So, so yeah, we, uh, we worked on everything underneath the car together from the start. And um, when we had, you know, put together ideas for products, uh, the goal was that we would debut that line of suspension in Japan and in the U.S. simultaneously. So we, uh, although SK San had a business called Part Shop Max in Japan, and you know he was doing all kinds of performance aspect stuff, or all kinds of aspects of you know performance car stuff, um, the the debut of the line was us together. In, in USA and Japan at the same time. So how did you test all these things? Like the, the first line you made, maybe uh, you, you you probably had some things to figure out. I mean, it's rarely that you make the thing on the first try. You know, um, SK San was um, SK San's a, a older than I am, and uh, he had you know, been around the drifting scene basically since it's, you know, it's early days in Japan. So I think that when we started out, I, I trusted him to basically take care of like all the technical, uh, you know, needs for, you know, creating a parts line. He had, uh, you know, a lot of experience drifting. Um, I had a little, you know, and and so I definitely trusted in his uh, experience and expertise in you know uh, making all the parts right. And that and was in the the early days of the. That that was the early days. So um, an interesting evolution with with Part Shop Max was that uh, debuting a new brand in Japan is something that uh, is really difficult. And it definitely has to do with the Japanese culture. So basically the Japanese respect uh, whatever is established, right? So even if we have some, some interesting ideas, uh, our new company was never going to be as respected as, I don't know, HKS, Gretty, you know, you name it, Ikea formula. So if we started up and Ikea formula was 20 years old, um, you know, even to this day, it's, it's really hard to, uh, it's, it's really hard to um, get respect for the name brand in Japan because even if we're 10 years old, then Ikea formula is 30 years old, you know? So... We'll, we'll never win that battle of being around the longest, you know. Uh, but in the U.S., uh, you know, people are much more <laughs> accepting of new brands if they, if they do their research and they think that something is a novel idea. They, they think that that's going to help, you know, them enjoy their car more than they're willing to adopt it regardless of the name brand or 
you know, the hierarchy of the, you know, reputation or, you know, the years that they've been around, um, you know, so the decision-making process of, of customers in, in U.S. and Japan is quite different. And it's been always very challenging to, uh, you know, to find success on the Japanese side. So um, also because the U.S. market was so much larger, um, I found that uh, I was... I was responsible for moving the brand forward um, just because of um, the, the way that the brand was accepted in the U.S., um, the size of the market, my, my, responsible, my responsibility level, you know, like really grew um, to kind of surpass uh, what SK-SAN had going on in, in Japan. And so... So what was the... The actual space that you had in, in the U.S. like was that a big facility right off the bat, or was it a small, like kind of shitty facility? <laughs> we were um, we started Part Shot Max USA in a 2,000 square foot place, and it was just it was just one unit in a multi-tenant industrial park, uh, and you know it's it's quite a humble beginning. Oh yeah, um, but since we were you know, since we built this parks line from, from nothing, you know, we really only started out with a few things and it was, it was appropriate for, you know, appropriately sized. I think that, that, uh, in business, you definitely have to make sure that your overhead is low. And so us having a, you know, a little humble space was, was part of, you know, making sure that, that we were keeping the bills in check. And us, by us, you mean the people who are working here right now? Ah, good question. Good question. Because there um, are not a lot of people here. There is not a lot of people here. So um, back in the day when I was running the body kit business, uh, there was a time where I was managing about 25 employees. And uh, it turns out that management is definitely not one of my talents. Uh, you know, I was going through my day and I was micromanaging each employee and what they were doing. And I was doing that so much that I didn't really have time to kind of explore the, you know, the things that I enjoy about running a business, which is, you know, the, the creative aspect and, you know, branding and, and marketing. So um, when, when we formed the new business, I basically uh, kind of took lessons learned from the body kit business where we had a bunch of employees and I knew that that wasn't my strong suit. So in moving forward, I kind of vowed that I would do as much as I can with as little as possible as far as employees go. So um, some people might be surprised that Part Shop Max USA consists of only three people. So it's myself and Tommy is, is the guy that picks up the phone, answers all the emails, ships out all the orders, um, helps people with, uh, you know, settings. He actually did when we got here. He was on the phone with a customer talking to him, oh, you should do this and this, and right. getting him in the right direction. It was very interesting seeing the guy who, as you said, picks up the phone, answers all the emails, ships everything, and he also does the customer service thing. Right. So going back to the fact that I'm just, like, horrible at managing people, I am very blessed to have... 
uh, Tommy and Martin in my life because they are the types of guys that can just come into the shop, get straight to work. You know, they know what they need to do. Um, we all do things uh, that are totally different, so we're not stepping on each other's toes. So, um, you know, we got Martin in the in the back of the shop doing fabrication. Um, Martin is the hands-on guy. He does all the welding. He builds the tooling. Um, you know, we have we have a conversation here every day about about you know what is the best practice for you know taking care of this issue in this car. So um, it's it's really good to have guys that um, can manage themselves, know what they're doing, and that allows me to focus on uh, you know all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. All the so-called boring stuff uh, for, for people who, don't know, who are not interested in business things, maybe. I well, mean, Martin as a fabricator does all the, the um, exciting stuff, really, for, for the actual metal work, the, the parts that, that you produce. And you design them, and Tommy does all the service things. Right, correct. So it's very, it's very different. And I think that, as you said, Martin is the hands-on guy. And mm-hmm. but he also you had a phone call when we sat here with Matt Field right. when we started the interview, and as you said, he's very hands on, and you're trying to figure out a problem that Matt has with hip with his car, and you're trying to solve that through the phone, through talking to Martin, and mm-hmm. you're very in, in like the synergy here. Everything is working like yin and yang, I'd say. Yeah, we. Uh, I always have my way of looking at things, and. You know, if I'm doing if I'm doing CAD design or I'm, I'm working out an idea, and I bounce that bounce that off of Martin. Martin's pretty good at telling me like you know how wrong I am about something <laughs> because if I'm not the guy that actually you know has my hands into the machine, then there's you know certain things that that I might not understand. So um, we work very well together because we are so different. So we bring different things to the table, and and um, when when our different perspectives kind of mesh together to, to create something that ends up being, you know, the best way to make a part, then, you know, it, it really pays off to have that, that team dynamic and, you know, that constant discussion of, of what's good and what's bad about different ideas. So definitely privileged to, uh, to have these guys. And I was really surprised to, to come here and see that you have one fabricator and that's it. My idea was that they have tons of people. Of course, they have because they're a large business. They do very high-profile, high-end stuff, and and of course, they have tons of people in different departments and everything else. And I got here, and it's like, wow. Yeah, we do. We do a lot with a little. Um, uh, so I'm the guy that does all of the website stuff. Um, I do all of the social networking. So um, if you if you ask a question on Instagram or on Facebook, uh, it's me at home at midnight in my bed, picking up the phone, you know, answering <laughs> questions like I am that guy. I, you know, as being the owner of the business, I don't know. There's always this constant pressure. I'm like always hyper aware that, you know, whatever I do every single day is what is going to make this successful or not. So um, you know, I, I don't have the privilege of clocking out 
at the end of the day and after five o'clock, you know, just not thinking about work anymore. Uh, you know, my phone lights up every, every minute and, you know, there's, there's customer interactions that, you know, there's, there's people with issues that need to be solved. There's people with questions about, you know, how to set stuff up and, and I'm there. It goes directly to my handset. So it's almost like all of our customers have my, uh, my personal phone number because, you know, it just, it just screen pops on my phone all day and all night. And you'll, you have a pretty successful chance of, uh, you know, getting a hold of me at, at odd hours. And, you know, I just, I just can't resist. Um, you know, I know that, uh, I know that people have cars that they're building all around the world. And, you know, that happens in, in real time in different time zones. And, um, you know, if I want, if I want what we're doing to be all it can be, then, you know, I'm just compelled to, to be on it as much as possible all times of day and night. So if you are a non-Swedish speaker, uh, just hang on for about 30 seconds. I'm going to read an ad and then we'll get back to the show. Radio Power bygger och servrar många av Sveriges absolut bästa tävlingsbilar och gatbilar. Och som generalagent för bland annat Mishimoto's racingkylare och K-Sport Racing sortiment med coilovers, bromskit och luftfjädring kan Radio Power leverera allt du behöver för att lyckas med ditt bygge. De har också specialiserat sig på tävlingsburar för både time attack, drifting men nu även rally. Så vare sig du behöver bygga en bur till din racebil eller sänka din daily driver så kan Radio Power leverera allt från bolt-on kits till skräddarsydda arbeten. Ett stort tack till Radio Power som hjälper oss att fortsätta göra det vi gör. So tell me a little bit about like the actual parts that you make. I am I know that everything is a is a special color for a reason and you have a, a different kind of look. Right. So copper and gold is definitely to drift parts what brown is to UPS. Um you know, it's our signature, uh, it's our style. Um, you know, I, I really love the look that we've achieved. Um, and I, I love how we can be kind of identified out there without even having our name on something, because if you see copper and gold underneath the car, you know, that's Parshaw Max. Um, sometimes I have, uh, definitely, Second guess the decision to um, to choose those colors because um, as it turns out, when you go from different substrates such as some parts are made out of aluminum, some parts are made out of steel, and and you have those two colors, uh, it just turns out that it's it's very difficult to achieve consistency across uh, you know all the assemblies and you know the different types of stuff that we make. I never thought about that. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the parts are beautiful. People open up the box. They love it. Uh, you know, our customers are out there on Instagram, you know, hashtagging their posts with all gold everything because, you know, they just, they've got the whole collection of things in there and they're, you know, they're proud of the style and, and uh, you know, they're proud of having, having these high-level parts in their car that, that look great. And, uh, you know, the company colors are are, you know, definitely, definitely how we achieve our look and, and, uh, you know, it's how we're known. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, um, but I will say that, uh, yeah, I think that, that maybe... Maybe the, the copper and gold had, had ruined my life in some ways because um, we, uh, the thing about copper is that we were using actual real copper plating, like the element from, from Mother Earth, uh, copper is something that it turns out it's, uh, it's very unstable. Um, so when you think about copper, you might want to think about how the Statue of Liberty looks, right? So... Uh, in order to keep it looking shiny and beautiful, uh, we clear coat it after we plate the part. But it seems like everything in the automotive automotive environment is like you know conspiring to to break that down. So whether it's uh, you know you're spilling uh, brake fluid, oil, you're you're driving the car through uh, you know snow and there's there's uh, you know there's salt on the roads. It's like everything underneath, underneath the car is just trying to destroy the beautiful stuff that we make. So um, I've been working for years uh, behind the scenes to find uh, uh, alternative coatings that are more stable, and we've definitely achieved that. Um, we, we are now uh, using a three-stage paint that provides the, the metallic appearance uh, of that natural copper, um, we've developed our own uh, copper anodizing for um, for aluminum parts, and uh, turns out that's 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 a color that's that's very difficult to achieve um, when it comes to when it comes to anodizing. That that kind of like red or pink element um, is something that is actually pretty unstable, and it's hard to nail. I never thought um, about like picking a color could could pose so many problems for a part. For sure, for sure, um, and there's different there's different considerations uh, for coatings like uh, powder coat, for example. You can't powder coat a thread, otherwise, you know, you'd never get the two parts to thread back together. Um, so we we choose the application of the color um, in a very functional way. It's like you know we need to protect the threads, so that's going to be plating. 
um, we we can't uh, we can't immerse a, an assembly that is basically like a, a front lower control arm. You can't dip that in a plating bath without having some of that plating chemical, like you know, retained inside that hollow part. Uh, you know, it'll make its way out later. So you know, we use we use painting. Um, you know, the three stage paint in that in that particular application. Um, so yeah, lot, lots of behind the scenes kind of like technical issues that that I grind on. Um, nobody will ever know about. Nobody will ever know like how much I toil on, you know, just what it takes to, like, make uh, an entire line of parts, copper and gold. It's, <laughs> it's actually pretty crazy. <laughs> but I, I feel like, um, you know, we have come a long way and, and we've achieved, a, you know, a level of stability for, you know, those coatings that, that is definitely, you know, superior. So the, the materials that you use, is that something special that, that you've come up with? Like the, the metals to make um, the parts unbreakable, so to speak? So we... We manufacture most of our parts in Taiwan, um, and that's how we kind of bring the the value, uh, you know, aspect to you know. Look, we we realize that we're selling a suspension system that might cost five thousand bucks. You know, once you have everything, you have all of our best stuff. We understand that most people out there with a two forty SX have a one thousand dollar car. So, um, in order to have very competitive and at the same time reasonably priced items we manufacture in Taiwan. But um, there's there's a stigma, right, about manufacturing some stuff overseas, and that stigma is just that, uh, you know, people think of Taiwan, they think of China, and, you know, what do you think of when you think of China? You think of crap, crappy parts, right? You think of, like, stuff that you find on eBay. But, um, you know, we have we have kind of been walking the path to vertical integration. Um, we're very much in control of, of all the aspects of how the parts are built, um, maintaining quality control, uh, you know, finding the best materials and the best techniques to you know, create those assemblies. For example, um, we, we import a DOM steel tube from Japan into Taiwan in order to build the parts because um, actually, we have no choice. Uh, they don't have certain qualities of materials available in Taiwan. So, um, so this is a, it's kind of like where the magic happens. Um, you know, we were able to select the right materials. We're able to build the parts at the right price. And, and I think that, um, you know, the, the brand reputation and the, the affordability of the parts um, have definitely been put together by those careful plans that we make as far as like, you know, where we're producing the parts, where we're sourcing the materials. And it all comes together, um, you know, to make something that is performing at a really high level um, on some cars that don't cost a lot of money. Um, and, you know, we're happy that we can, we can serve the market in that way. And you mentioned earlier that um, a part can go through several generations before before even getting to market, like is that the the Absolutely. work of Martin yep. doing testing? So we'll um, you know we'll make a plan about what the best course of action is to you know build the suspension parts underneath the car. Um, we'll put something together. We'll put it on the car. We'll get that car to the track. Uh, we break stuff. 
and um, you know that's how that's how we build better, stronger parts. Uh, if you if you look at some of our parts, like if you pick it up, you know you might think, man, this thing is like you know ridiculous. It's built like a tank, and uh, the fact is, drifters are hard on parts. Oh wow! Oh yes! Oh yes! So we uh, we take it out to the track. We break stuff. Um, you know, we give it to the pros. They're even harder on it. They break stuff. And each time we break something, we rebuild it better. And so, you know, there's, uh, there's, no, there's no computer simulation, uh, you know, for exactly what happens in a drift car. But the bottom line is uh, they're pretty hard on parts. And, you know, I, people, don't, uh, people don't like uh, bringing their machine to the track and having something ruin their day. So, um, so the super beefy aspect to the stuff that we make is based on uh, the fact that uh, we know what they go through. We put it through, you know, we put them through their paces ourselves, and and uh, you know, we want this stuff to last. Where, you know, after you've built the car, you've spent the money on aftermarket parts, you've trailered it to the track. You know, you're ready to enjoy it. That's the whole point of it. That's what everything you know, is coming together for. And if something snaps and, you know, you're out of a track day, then, you know, we, we understand how people feel about that. So we just build them tough. So in order to develop all these parts, do you have drivers that you're working closely with or do you test them yourself or? We've been working really closely with Matt Field for a number of years. And um, the, the way that we work together, uh, you know, between Partshot Max and, and that field has been, you know, really instrumental in uh, elevating the parts to a level where um, they're very competitive. Um, Matt Field is, is very good about, uh, you know, communicating what he's feeling in the car. And um, he's very good at... Uh, you know, giving a detailed explanation of, of what it is that he needs, what's working for him, what's not working for him. And, um, you know, with all of the adjustments that, that we've built into the parts, really letting him dial in the machine for, uh, you know, different track environments, whether it's uh, temperature, day to night, uh, if it's rainy or dry or patchy, you know, both wet and dry, um, we've been able to give him the tools that he needs to change the car, you know, for each one of those environments. And, um, and the way that we're able to bring that all together is, is what has resulted in, in him winning uh, first place at the, uh, at the recent event, the Motegi Invitational. Um, it's been a long time coming. Uh, you know, that team uh, has worked very hard and they've, they've come a long way, and we've been able to grow with them. And, you know, the stuff that we learn out there in battle, you know, we bring back to the shop, and, and we, we tinker with, uh, with different aspects of our parts until, until they're achieving the results that we need. And, um, you know, the fact that he just won first place was, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, we're re really proud of him, and, you know, we're, we're definitely privileged to be part of his program. So... The way that we work together is we help each other out. So, um, you know, he gives, he gives us great feedback. And then 
whether it's good or bad, you know, we're able to implement change, put that back in the car, and then, you know, basically have it verified with, with him out there winning. How is he, like, from outside, Matt Field might be just looking like a, he's a, he's a dude who just drives hard and that's it. But I've, I've, I've heard rumors that he's, like, very calculated and... Well, um, I think that the the style of Matt Fields driving is is actually it's exciting, it's explosive, um, and you know sometimes that results in making mistakes. You know, might result in in spinning out. Uh, you know, round one there was a mistake on track, and he ended up spinning the car around and, you know, we left with, with a eighth place result. And that, uh, that definitely, that eighth place result definitely kind of, uh, spurred on a, a conversation within the team, which is, we know we have what it takes to be number one, you know, why exactly what, you know, what was it that, that landed us eighth place when we could have been first. You know, when you when you saw him out there running with Osbo, uh, you could see that the confidence was, you know, it was up there. You know, running against the running such a good run against the 2015 champ and you know making all the right moves, it was definitely definitely a proud moment. You know, to see the the way that he was performing out there, but something happened where uh, on his lead run, he threw a little bit too much of a crazy angle on that first entry where he didn't really need to go that big. And then when he went to transition around, he, you know, just whipped to angle super fast and ended up, you know, coming all the way around with a spin. So, you know, the conversation on the team was, you know, why did that happen? Why did that, why did that mistake kind of transpire in, in that situation? where we've got the machine dialed, you know, the previous run was absolutely excellent. You know, what happened in that moment? And, um, you know, basically what happened was there was a mistake. Does that trickle down to you? Like, um, oh, we need more angle or, or that kind of stuff. How does that work? Because parts, parts by Max is not really... Um, focused on the whole Weissfab thing, like oh, we have seventy, eighty, whatever degrees of angle, blah blah blah. That's not what you really are focusing on, is it? Well, um, so when something happens that we don't like in the car, we come back to the pits. Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely my responsibility if if that spin was caused by um, maybe some some parts interference. If the tire touches the front lower control arm and that basically like stops the wheel and you spin around as a result of it, then, you know, that's, uh, that's what I'm there for is to, is to make sure that the settings are correct. So for example, you could dial out the bump stop a little bit and then that would cancel that part interference. And, um, you know, if it's not set up correctly, then you put yourself in a position to knock yourself out. So, um, you you mentioned what was that name that you mentioned? Weissfab. All oh, right, those blue parts out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the 
So when, when the WiseFab stuff uh, started to get popular, then you see the character of the car on track, uh, you know, basically crab walking. The cars were behaving very differently than they used to. So, um, and this is, this is basically due to trying to get more front tire patch by reducing the caster and then trying to replace that self-steer that's lost by reducing the caster um, with spindle trail. But um, it's, it's not a direct replacement, right? There's, there's a character that the car displays when you have that trail in the knuckle. And the character is that, you know, the car kind of wants to crab walk. Um, it'll do really slow transitions, you know, from one turn to the next. And um, when, when the character of, of cars that are set up with those parts are, you know, kind of been made popular and, and, you know, a lot of people are running it, then, you know, we have a responsibility, even though we might not agree with that type of car character, it's not, it's not what we want to see. We want to see, uh, you know, from the stands, we want to see that, that snap, you know, on the transition. We want to see that dramatic, uh, you know, quick, uh, you know, whether it's an entry or, or you know, transitioning from, from one side of the track to the next. We, you know, we don't really agree with the, with the style of the blue parts because we don't like the way that the car behaves. But as soon as a lot of people have those parts on their car, then if you're in tandem with a car with the blue parts and it's behaving a certain way and you're the follow car, you have a responsibility to stay with his line. So, um, so there's been kind of like a, a convergence between what is our favorite style, you know, with like a you know, really high caster dominated you know, setting to their style, which is low caster with trail. Um, there's been kind of a convergence about, you know, where we're, where we're pointing the parts, uh, to be competitive in any situation. And, you know, one of those situations that, you know, we often find ourselves in is that we're in tandem with a car with the blue parts and we have to be able to position our machine with them. Um, so we have, um, we've experimented with the trail on the spindle, um, but, we're able to kind of like mellow that out a little bit and not have such an extreme difference in the way that the car is behaving versus what we prefer by kind of uh, combining more caster than they do with that trail knuckle. So, so right now we're at a point where um, we, can, we can drive for the judges. We can be you know, more consistent out there in the track. Um, we can we can um, put the car in position, you know, behind the guy that has the WiseFab stuff on his car, or we can take the line that, that we prefer, um, you know, running, running fast through the course. And, you know, that's, that's the way that we're able to be most competitive is by kind of adapting and, and blending the two styles into something that is, it's, it's not, you know, side A, it's not side B, but, you know, we're, We've got a third thing that is, um, you know, kind of like the convergence between the two styles. And so that's something that's worked really well. Um, and in the case of Matt Field, it's, it's, what, uh, it's what he's using to win. Quick break there. I'm just going to collect my thoughts.
let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, all right. So the story that you wanted to tell, what is it about? So right now we're about to go to Atlanta, um, round two, 2016. The event in Atlanta in 2015, um, I think was something like rock bottom for, uh, for Matt Field and the team. And that's because, uh, that's because coming out of round one, um, there was a lot of changes made to the machine. And those changes were untested. And a lesson learned in hindsight is that we can't test any unproven item or setting on the car at Formula Drift. However, at Atlanta in 2015, uh, we made several changes to the machine, you know, one on top of the other, and the car was not behaving in the manner that, you know, the driver could control, you know, to get the results that he wanted. So, um, in that in that event in Atlanta in 2015, I believe it was won by uh, Odi Bakchis, and um, this is a guy that Matt Field, you know, really looks up to. He really admires his driving style. Um, you know, Odie's been able to, you know, take his very skilled driving and, and, you know, build points with it. And at this particular event, uh, Odie won. Matt also happened to be transporting Odie's race car, uh, to every event. So, so the, the team was kind of like at, you know, like mentally rock bottom, you know, they, they totally failed to achieve the results that they wanted. Um, you know, we made mistakes technically, you know, making too many changes to the machine. It could, you know, there wasn't enough practice time to, you know, work out all the bugs. And uh, the car just wasn't right going into that event. And um, when Odie won, and he won with WiseFab on his car, um, you know, Matt was under the impression that, if that's what it takes to win, then that's what I need on my car. So uh, us having a relationship for years and, you know, me being his suspension guy, at least the guy that's, you know, responsible for the suspension and steering parts in the car, um, and, and Matt coming to me uh, after that defeat and, you know, watching the other guys stand on top and, you know, admiring them, you know, how did they get there? What do they have on their car? What, what does it take to win? Does it take me putting the blue parts in my car to win? Uh, if that's what it takes, then that's what I need to do. And I said, um, I'll buy you a set of those blue parts and we'll put them on your car. And you can tell me what you love about it. You can tell me what you hate about it. Um, you can tell me what you love about you know the parts that you have on there right now. And you can tell me what you hate about it. And he was kind of taken back by the fact that I was willing to do that, but you know, that's, that's just how committed I was to his program that, you know, I didn't really believe in my heart that there's any particular thing that you can buy for the car that will put you on the podium because there's teams out there with much more money than us. And if, if that's all it took to win was to buy something and put it on your car and then, you know, get that result, uh, you know, the guys with much bigger budgets than us, that are doing worse than us, you know, would have made that decision and, you know, they would have prevailed, but obviously that's not, you know, that's not reality. So, um, 
you know, what Matt said to me is, is he, uh, that he was totally right on was I would be stupid not to try it. You know, I see this on other people's cars and I see those people producing results and I would be stupid if I didn't at least try it. Um, so we bought a set of blue parts for his car. He tried them out. He communicated everything that he loved and hated about it. Where we're at right now is, is totally different than we were one year ago, uh, going into Atlanta, you know, not having the car set up right, car failing. Uh, and where we're at right now is definitely completely different than what's going on with the blue parts. Uh, you know, essentially the deal with the blue parts and, you know, the whole name of that company is like, we've thought of everything for you. So you don't have to think, uh, you know, you just pop this in there. It's not very adjustable, uh, you know, but you got big angle. You know, the judges love it because, you know, you're able to, to drive more consistently. So what we came up with was something that just brought together the best aspects of, of both ways of building parts. So one... One is trail dominant, the other one is caster dominant. We blended those two things together um, and we're able to make the car behave in a more competitive way than, than we ever had before. So the Matt, in, Matt Field incident is, is the thing that made you go this way? Right, right. So that's how important it is for us to, to work together with Matt because, um, you know, everybody out there is inspired by what they see going on, you know, on that high level. Uh, it's, it's very influential, right? Um, so coming out of Long Beach uh, with the win, uh, you know, at the Motegi Invitational is, is really important to us because it's settled. You don't have to have those blue parts on your car to win. Um, we never believe that you do, but until we're standing on top, then it's not really verified and proven. Um, so taking all the changes that we've made uh, from one year ago to today, parlaying that into a win, um, you know, it feels really good. I would, I would imagine it does. And, and going into Atlanta and all the other rounds, I'm sure that, that Matt has a car that he is, is confident in. And I, I think he's going to do really well this season. For sure. We can see that. And I would like to get into the really technical stuff of the suspension parts that you make. Um, more so for the average Joe. Like, if he... Your parts are more... They are uh, more for people who are, who are higher up in the motorsports uh, business, so to speak. Then people, I guess that people who have tried many different things and then now they want to go for your parts, I guess. Right. Just like I was talking about um, on, on Matt's car where it's like once you've tried everything out there and you're trying to make a decision on how you can improve your car from that point, um, I think that 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 definitely demands experience and um, definitely a level in, of sophistication in you know, knowing 
knowing how to set up the car, uh, you know, to, to really achieve something that is above and beyond whatever the potential was before. Um, so I think that right now we're really privileged to work with um, Mike Kojima and Moto IQ. They, uh, they have a blog online where they'll bring in parts, set up cars, and they'll write every single step down about, you know, how they set it up, why they set it up that way. Um, you know, uh, Mike Kojima is kind of like the, the all-time most respected suspension guru uh, out there, and he's worked with tons and tons of teams, and he's gotten results. So everybody totally trusts Mike, and for, for Mike to come to us in, in his latest build for Moto IQ and request to work with Partshop Max in you know, building a, a new article and, and kind of educating people about what the right way is to set up a car, um, I have to say I was really honored that, that he selected our stuff. Um, but he, he gets around and, and you know, he sees what's out there and and um, one thing that, that Kojima said uh, about our stuff that you know, I was kind of taken back by was that he said, this is exactly the way I would build these things if I was building them myself. The style that you guys, you know, the, the stuff that you guys are doing, this is exactly the way that I would do it. So I was just, uh, trust me, he doesn't say that to everyone, right? So I was pretty honored, uh, you know, to kind of have my, my work, my creations uh, verified by the best in the business. And for a, for a drifter that's, um, that's coming up in the ranks, and as you said, like, people, these parts are not for everybody. The, uh, you assume that people have knowledge in setting up the cars and everything else. But for a person looking for maybe something other than Part Shop Max, uh, what, what are the, the, what do you say, what are the, the bits and pieces that people should look for to have a great or a good setup in a car? Is there the, the whole caster trail you talked about or should you go the other route that, the, as you said, blue parts are doing or what should you look for? You know, I, I, had, I had several people come up to me at, uh, at drifting events and, you know, they were really pumped to meet me once they, you know, figured out that I was the owner of Parshot Max. Um, and you know, they give me a compliment and the compliment is something like, I really love your stuff. Um, I can't afford it, <laughs> but one day when I can, I will have your parts on my car. Um, that is, um, that's an extraordinary compliment. And, you know, it also, also makes me realize that, you know, as we've grown in sophistication, the level of accessibility has you know, maybe gone down because in, you know, adding features, we're also adding price. Um, so I think that it is really important to, to buy great parts for your car because otherwise you're just buying the stuff more than once. So if you get a disposable item, you know, you're just wasting your money. You're just delaying 
you know, the time that it takes to really have your car set up right. So I think the right way to do it for people who find themselves on a limited budget, appreciates the stuff that we do, it's just to buy it one at a time. So, uh, you know, that's how it's done. Nobody comes in here and plops down five grand and says, give me everything. Does it come in a set? It just doesn't happen, you know. These are just guys with, with 240SXs that we're talking about here. And, you know, while that might happen at the, uh, at the Porsche parts place, you know, that doesn't happen here. So, you know, save up your money. Buy one thing at a time. If you put one thing at a time in your car, that's fine. If you start a pile in your bedroom and then, you know, once you have everything you need to, like, do your rear end alignment or something like that, then, you know, that's great, too, because then you can... You know, you can save on the labor aspect of it um, because every time you add another part into the car, you have to realign it. You know, everything affects everything else. So whether you build a pile or you have the time to put it in there, you know, one at a time and, you know, keep on leveling the car up, uh, that's how it's done. Let's say that a person is not buying parts from you. They're, par they're buying parts from wherever, but what are the things they should look for in a part on your, from your eyes? Um, well, some people buy parts based on knowing that they're disposable parts. So, um, you know, they, they can't really be concerned about the, the quality of what's going in their car, uh, going to go in their car if they're just going to, you know, crash and, and wreck it and have to, you know, buy a replacement part, right? So some people have like this uh, disposable kind of, you know, consideration to the stuff that they get for their car. But what they need to know is that um, the stuff that we do behind the scenes that might not be so obvious, you know, really gets different results in the car. Uh, for example, um, I don't think anyone will ever know how much work we put into our spherical bearing. Um, it's not an off-the-shelf item. It's not something that we just buy and resell. Uh, I think that every brand out there, they just say, oh, well, we have uh, Aurora rod ends or we have this or that, and, you know, they just take commonly available things and they put it together in their assembly, and we don't do that. Um, we have our own bearing specification. Um, we have... We've kind of progressed over the years where we thought that the spherical bearings had to be, um, had to have like a pretty high torque rating, you know, as far as like the amount of effort that it takes to move it. Um, we had to start out with a high torque rating because, you know, over the lifetime you imagine things wear out. So if we make them, you know, a little bit stiffer in the beginning, then they might have a longer lifetime. But actually what we've learned is that, um, in building a race car where, you know, if they wear out a part, they can just grab one from their spare parts pile, throw it right in there. There's nothing to lose by having like a, a lower lifetime, right? So, uh, and it's also much more responsive if, if it has, you know, a really buttery, really low torque, um, you know, amount of effort that it takes to, to move the spherical bearing. Um, what we found is that on the race cars, uh, we were actually able to achieve something where we had a really 
buttery pillow ball, but its lifetime isn't affected by the fact that it's easy to move. So that's something that, that we were able to work really hard on and, and perfect. Um, we, we bring in uh, Teflon liners out of Germany um, when we're putting together our, our spherical, spherical bearings. Um, so we're using really high quality materials. Um, you know, we've got our own custom settings on there and the result is that it's something that you can actually feel in the wheel. So especially when it comes to like a, a McPherson car where the actual steering axis is a line that is between the bearing on the top plate of the coilover and the bearing that is connected to the taper rod right underneath the knuckle. Um, if that stuff is really easy to move, then that makes the steering so much more responsive. You would think that those little pillow balls are nothing, you know, against the car's weight, against the car's momentum, you know, everything that's going on in the car. You think, well, if it's easy or hard for me to move with my hand, you know, it doesn't make any difference. It does. It does. It's something that we've learned and, and it's something that we spent a lot of time perfecting. So when you save up the money and you buy these parts, that's what you get. You get a better level of response than uh, anything that we've come across out there. So the average Joe should do his research and buy quality parts that right. really have development time in them. Right. And, you know, typically I don't go around telling everybody that we have the best stuff why would they believe the guy selling it anyways? You know, typically it's like you're hearing this from your buddy, you know? There's always, there's always like one guy in a group of car guys that has, you know, has the most experience. He's, he's been around. He's used everything out there. Um, he's done his own research. He saved up his own hard-earned money. He's put the parts on his car. He's explored the best settings. Now, when his friend you know, builds up their car, then he just kicks down the knowledge. This is like the whole reason why we sell parts is because, is because your buddy told him to, told you to. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to convince anyone, but the guys that have taken the time and saved up their money and are out there on the track and they're giving advice to their friends, you know, those are the guys that are on our side and you know that's why that's why we're we're here in the position that we are is because of those enthusiasts so you know we really appreciate that you know people have taken the time and you know figured out that this is something that they need to make their car, their car perform the way that they need it to us three guys we're always getting together every single day at lunch talking about how to make stuff better um so we have kind of like our own path that we're on um, as far as like what we think best practices are. Um, using all of our experience, um, our differing opinions, you know, trying to mesh all considerations together to, you know, really prevail with the, with the best result and best practices. You know, that's, that's what we focus on here every day. Um, so, you know, when you see our motto on the website that says level up, like it's just not some clever, you know, thing that we put up there. Like that's, that's literally what we've been working on every single day for the last eight years. 
Um, we always try to improve. Um, so as a result of us, you know, just being an original parts company and, you know, just the constant conversation that, that goes on in here about how to make stuff better, um, we're a little isolated from, you know, maybe the typical thing that you would do, which is like looking around at what everyone else is doing, you know, to try to figure out the best way. Uh, what should we copy from them? You know, something like that. That's not really our strategy. So, you know, although you might see a lot of blue parts out there on cars, um, I have no idea how they got there. I have no idea if that, you know, the other companies are just giving away a bunch of stuff um, in order to get their product, you know, properly placed, uh, you know, where it's prominent and people can see it. Uh, I don't know how that works. Um, I only know, you know, what, what we're doing here. And, and I have to wonder if, um, if other brands are, you know, really only built on uh, people's perceptions, you know? You got well-placed items out there. Uh, there's a lot of hype around it, but is that what, you know, What's, what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line result of that? Um, is that really what all the enthusiasts have on their cars? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or is it all just hype and, you know, people are sophisticated. They are able to think for themselves. And, you know, are most of them going to choose a different path? I think that I don't want to hold you up anymore. You are probably a very busy man. You've uh, mm. taken your time to do this in the middle of the day. Um, we interrupted your lunch. We interrupted everything else. Well, it, <laughs> I, it's, it, it's important for you know, people to know what uh, you know, the, the character behind the you know, stuff that's out there. Yeah, because I've, you know, I've, I didn't know about you. I didn't know you existed before. Right. Who, you know, how many people out there know the story of, you know, Matt Field and how he made his way through the ranks? You know, why did, why did he just win the event? Is it because he has, you know, all the money and sponsorships in the world? Or is it because that guy is just like you? And he scratched and clawed and, you know, fought his way to the top um, on a very limited budget. You know, that's the real story. And it's so interesting. And important because it's important when, it's important to stay relevant, you know. You can't, you can't let the sport get to uh, a level where, you know, people can't even relate this to like their own car builds. Uh, you know, if I see the, I, if I see a formula one car on track, you know, I really respect that, but I can't relate to it at all. Um, so having a grassroots guy in a 240 SX winning the event without being backed by, you know, crazy big time sponsors, you know, that, that is important for keeping our sport relevant and, you know, that's, uh, that's something that, that is inspirational that, 
you can take a car that's more than 20 years old and have it that competitive on course. And it's amazing to see that you three guys, you, Tommy, and Martin are the, the business, and that's it. And, and there's nothing else to it here in the U.S. And I am very honored to even be here, to be let in your facility and, and see everything that you do. And, and I hope that Parcha Max just keeps on doing what you do. Because you put Matt Field on the podium once, and I assume that it's going to happen again. For sure. For sure. We can definitely see the championship from here. So really proud of the win and um, you know, we really have a great momentum going forward. Where can we find you on social media and everything else? Uh, I'm on Instagram all day, every day, uh, at Part Shop Max. And we are on Facebook, Part Shop Max USA. And the website is partshopmax.com. Can we see your parts on cars on the street or, or are there any special project cars that you I know there's a there's a there's a FRS or an 86 outside your shop here that you did something special with that's right the the story of the of the set of things that we have in the FRS is something that um, has been I think really polarizing so we've got the car on airbags and people seem to feel very strongly one way or the other about that. Um, and for us to be a performance company and, you know, for us to use the airbags in a drifting environment, that's something that kind of gets the immediate reaction like that doesn't belong there. Those things are only for show cars. Um, but we have been, we've been, we've been able to prove that, uh, it's, it's a very useful application of, of airbags being on a drift car. That really soft spring um, inspires confidence when you're making your way around the track. If, if the car control, if the body of the vehicle is undisturbed by any dramatic event throughout the course, then that really lets you focus your driving in the right places and um, you know the level of confidence uh, on the track car on airbags is is something like a, we've never experienced before it's definitely it's definitely what's next I'm excited to see where uh, where the air suspension is going and um, yeah it's it's been great having you thank you for for taking the time to do this and um, I hope to see you in the near future Pleasure having you guys, and you know, I'm sure we'll be uh, sure we'll be chatting it up online about this uh, in the near future. Um, you know, hopefully, we've given people a lot of stuff to think about, and um, you know, I hope that that kind of drives everyone's conversation in in a different direction. You know, maybe they didn't think about some of these things, and you know, hopefully, that inspires them to you know level up their own machine and you know, build upon their, their knowledge and, and settings in the car and, and, you know, have their skills increase. I think that's a wrap and we'll just go grab a dinner. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 